Well, welcome to Kings. It's great that you've been able to join us online today. And like me, I guess you're excited about what the government have announced this week. A phased a lifting of the lockdown. I guess if you're parents and you've been homeschooling, you're particularly excited about kids going back to school on the 8th of March. And I think it's probably about right. It's good to pace uh, the lifting of the lockdown, even though it's really tough, isn't it? Still really tough. Uh, but there is hope on the horizon. And we've decided then in light of what the government have said this week, that we're going to open up our in-person services from the 14th of March. And we'll start again with one meeting on uh, each of our, uh, within each of our three buildings, our facilities. And then as the weeks pass, we're going to encourage more and more of you to gather. And we're going to start to rebuild towards what we now hope is mid-summer, end of June, the potential and possibility of being back to some normality. And at that point that we can gather back uh, in, in our hundreds. That's our hope. Our first step is to offer in-person services uh, within the kind of similar restrictions that we did uh, before Christmas. Uh, so there'll be limited numbers, masks being worn and things like that. But that'll be from the 14th of March and there'll be more details coming soon. Uh, had great feedback from this series. I, I, I really appreciate that, but also have felt that it really was a timely series right in the middle of this pretty hard lockdown. And I'm speaking today on financial health. Now, addressing a church as diverse of kings on financial health is a challenge because I know that some of you here, you're concerned about, have I got enough money to put food uh, on the table at the end of this week or next week? So you're living on the edge. Uh, you may be on benefits, but you, you, life is hard. So I'm aware of that. I'm also aware that there will be in a church as diverse, I think it's one of the strengths of Kings, that you could be really struggling or you could be particularly wealthy. So there are a number, not many, who have surplus to requirements. Uh, you have either land somewhere, uh, either here or in another nation. You may have uh, multiple properties. You have uh, large investments. Uh, you, you're, you're rich, as the scripture would define. And so we have those extremes, and then most of us are somewhere between those two. And the issue for us is most of us don't engage with this subject for a whole range of reasons. So if I ask you the question, I wonder how much money you have in your pension pot at the moment, I suspect most of you would look at me like I've kind of just lost the plot. But I hope as we go through uh, today, I will at least draw your attention to the importance of financial health. And for me, that means good stewardship of the resources that God has given you. The pandemic has thrown up issues uh, that we'll live with financially for years ahead. I, I don't know about you, I'm sad enough to be looking forward to the budget on the 3rd of March next Wednesday. I'm interested, will the furlough system be extended? Um, will the benefit system be extended? Uh, we probably all know that taxes are going to increase in the coming years to pay for the billions of pounds that have been put in place to secure our nation through uh, the pandemic, or, which I read um, one ex-chancellor this morning say uh, is the equivalent 
to the Second World War, the type of money we have thrown at the problem. During the pandemic, the poorer have got poorer and the richer have got richer. If you are furloughed at the moment or lost your job, you're facing challenges that just over a year ago you wouldn't have conceived was possible. Where if you're in a job that's secure, particularly if it's a secure job that and you are, you know, reasonably paid, uh, you, you actually got more. You've cleared more debt, all the research shows, and you have more savings. In fact, those of you that may be at the top end, the top 10% of people that earn, that would attend a church like King's, you, you could have thousands of pounds more. You haven't been overseas on a nice holiday. I like doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and uh, like all of us, you just haven't had the opportunity to spend. And so therefore, you're, you, you've, you have more in your savings than possibly ever. And so you have this contrast going on, not just only in a church like us, but in the wider society. And therefore, addressing a diverse church is not without challenge. And that's why I want to endeavour to be aware of both ends of the spectrum, those that maybe need, you know, struggling and those that have excess more than they need. What does God have to say into this? Well, the scriptures, and actually particularly the teaching of Jesus, addresses the God of money uh, very often. Uh, but today I want to go to uh, a familiar proverb. It is to me, maybe it isn't to you. It's just a, a proverb, just one line today out of Proverbs 13 and verse 22. A good man, or woman, but a good man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Now remember Proverbs, uh, it's really wisdom for life. And the principle of handling Proverbs is that it's wisdom for life that works most of the time. Not always, but most of the time, if you follow the Proverbs, life will go well with you. Uh, when I was uh, thinking of this, I, I thought of a picture I've shown you before. And it's a picture of, of the Tibber family. And uh, it's a picture of my dad. He's a good man. And my mum's a great mum as well, okay, but he's a, 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 a good man, mum's a good woman. And there's me, I'm, I'm 58 in a few days' time. And then there's my eldest son and our first grandchild, Isaac, who's just become um, one. And what the proverb says, it actually introduces us to the fact that if we steward well through the generations, that's in God's heart. And the proverb probably covers, I, I could say, at least covers over 150 years, but potentially up to 175, even 200. So if my dad, who's nearly 85, lives to 100, and Isaac lives to 100, what, what this, this little verse talks about how you steward your financial resources over 200 years. Now, I've lost most of you already because you struggle to think what's happening next week or next month where this proverb talks about stewardship of resources through generations. I liked uh, Dave uh, Smith's, I think it was day 36 in his book that we're using as a resource, uh, as a part of this series, where he stated this. He, and basically that when it comes to the issue of financial health, we should think stewardship, not ownership. 
stewardship, not ownership. Honestly believed if, if we had that mindset, it would solve a lot of issues for us when it comes to the God of money uh, and the God of materialism. It's stewardship, not ownership. I think most of us, and to a degree, uh, me included, think ownership. And so we start like this. This is my money. I worked hard to get it. I studied hard, so opened up opportunities. Uh, it's my hard work. It's my clever investment. It's my, it's my, it's my. Well, I think scripture teaches, and it's definitely the value that we've taught, and I've taught over 25 years at King's, is the principle that we are called to steward the resources that God has given us, both our, our financial resources, but also our, the gifts and our abilities. We are stewards. And if we could get a mindset or a heart that says it's all his, and we are stewarding it for a season. In fact, this proverb shows again that we're just here, just passing through, and we steward, we may accumulate, but then it's passed on, and we're just passing through. And a part of that, we have to steward what God has given us. And therefore, when it comes to financial health at Kings, that would be, in a sense, it's like front and center. It's the word we use, stewardship. It's different to the word asceticism or prosperity or poverty and prosperity. So we don't teach that you are more spiritual if you have nothing, yeah? Nor do we teach that you're more blessed if you have more. And I think both have error in them. Like all error, theologically, there's some truths in it. It's, it's, it's probably appropriate that you live a life which is aware of how much you may accumulate and therefore you're generous and so you might live maybe a simpler life to to those that are not following Christ. And it may be that if God has been good in your life and built uh, along with the scripture and good parenting character that you can manage and steward money well that you'll be financially prosperous. The difference is, is that you're spiritual standing before God is not dependent on how poor you are or how rich you are. I know some people that maybe don't have much, let's say they're poor, but they're spiritually rich. And I do meet people that are very wealthy, but they're spiritually poor. John Wesley famously said, earn all you can, give all you can, save all you can. Earn all you can, Give all you can, save all you can. I like that. Um, I, I, I like it because it puts some responsibility on us as stewards to earn and work hard. And if you want to have financial health, you've you, you got to work. You, you've got to take the skills you have and probably work pretty hard, long days, study hard, start kind of at the bottom of your career and work up, it takes time. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. They don't exist, yeah? So you've got to work. And actually, if you want to accumulate over generations, then you've got to work for, for year upon year. I always tell my kids, I started work at 16. I said, I started at 16. So I, I've been working decades. Um, and... Uh, uh, they just laugh at me now and just turn off. 
And they said, oh, don't tell me. You're going to tell me the story that you used to catch a 7 a.m. train to get to Watford College from Bedford. Don't tell us that story, Dad. Because well, I'm, I was 16. Uh, what, uh, my dad used to give me a lift to the station every morning. Yeah, I was very, very fortunate. I don't realise how much he supported me at that point until now as someone that can see it from a different perspective as I see it as a father or as a grandfather. I like what John Wesley says about give all you can. Doesn't say give it all. Doesn't say just save it all, earn it and save it. There's this motivation to give. But there's also the balance of it's appropriate to save. Because if you steward well over generations or over decades, what will happen is that you'll get to a point where you have accumulated enough assets that they start to make money for them for yourself. It just literally money makes money. And at that point, wow, you could be generous. And so there's a balance. I like that. Back to the proverb. The proverb introduces us to, I'm saying, four generations. Uh, my father, my, uh, uh, let's say, my dad is nearly 85. I'm 58 in a week's time. I know I don't look like that. I know remarkably young for my age. And then Ben, that's 28, and Isaac, that's one. There's four generations. I just want to make a few comments on the different issues that you face through the seasons. So from zero to 20, these are very foundational years. And a lot of your values are related to money, are shaped by your experience in your upbringing. So let me just quick two examples of the time I've got today. Um, if, uh, if money wasn't talked about at home, then you're probably more likely not to be open about it. And you, you'll find this out particularly if you get married. Uh, so in our marriage, my parents were very open about money. I knew what my dad earned, and I knew he gave generously. And in uh, uh, Deb's household, we didn't talk about money. It was like, oh, no, we don't talk about money. Yeah. So it was fascinating when we first got married, and I just wanted to talk about money, and there were, there were things to work through. Um, so it's to do with modelling. Um, if you grew up in a home where there was clearly people that were worried, there wasn't enough, or people, were, your parents or parent were anxious about it, then there's a possibility that, that that will flow into the way you handle it. So it's, it's helpful to be aware of that. Between the 20s and 40s, reality starts to kick in. You realise that uh, it takes hard work to start to uh, uh, rent a property or afford a car. Uh, and, you know, we particularly if you have lived lived in a, a Western culture for a number of generations, uh, the start point of wealth is far higher. I saw some pictures of, uh, of I think, our par my parents' house in the 70s. It looked really quite sparse compared to what is just the kind of base level of wealth in the UK. But when you're in your 20s and 40s, you start to realise it's quite expensive. And if you've had generous parents, you've kind of enjoyed that. Well, now it's your time to step up. And I think those in their 20s and 40s face some of the most demanding and challenging circumstances of any generation at this point in time. Ah, housing alone is just a huge challenge for those in 20s and 30s. Um, the opportunities of Employment, it's all the research says pandemic, it's that age range and particularly women that have been impacted uh, by the pandemic. 
And, and if you add in the, the cost of student debt and carrying that, 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 that there really are a generation that uh, face challenges like, uh, well, mine, I, I didn't face those challenges uh, some 25 years ago. 40 to 60, the issue becomes, if, particularly if you have kids, that's the most expensive time in, in my experience. In the first lockdown, we had six adults in our house. You should have seen our food bill. It was like, I couldn't believe it. Um, how much they could eat. Uh, but, you know, if, you've got, if you're going into teen years and things like that, it's an expensive time. And also you should, starting to become aware that life doesn't go on forever and pro, uh, provision for the 60s plus into your 80s should start to come into focus. And so you have lots of demands in the season, but you're also aware that you should be putting a little bit more aside, hopefully for the future. In the 60s to 80s, um, you start to live with the fruits of your labour through the first 60 years of your life. And you'll either discover you have, you know, you live with consequences of choices you've made and you'll either find that you've stewarded or you haven't or life been, has been hard and so you don't even have the option at this. But in that season, uh, I, I hope that this type of message will allow you to make choices that when you get there, that you've provided for those years. Uh, and I hope you live a long and fruitful life as well, everyone. Albert Einstein famously said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. And therefore, what happens in life, if you agree with Albert Einstein, and I tend to, is that people can go in one of two ways. They either go down the spiral of debt and, and compound interest, you know, with credit cards not cleared. I mean, it can be a spiral of debt or you accumulate over a period of time. So you're in a place where a good man can pass on an inheritance and your good stewardship means that you benefit from compound interest. Hemingway, in his book, The Sun Also Rises, has a character who ruefully, um, he ruefully writes that went bankrupt gradually and then suddenly. He went bankrupt gradually and then suddenly. That's why in a moment I'm going to recommend a number of resources to you. That if you're listening to this and you're thinking, Steve, this is not helping me at all, because you're kind of like, you're trying to avoid the reality that you're in debt and times are tough and you don't know what to do, we're here to help you. This is not a message to make you feel bad. It's a message possibly to grab your attention and say, look, make some choices, take some decisions. And one of them simply may be to access some of the seminars that we're gonna, I'm gonna uh, just introduce to you in a moment. The flip side to this is if you do steward well and you are a good man or woman and get to a place of passing on inheritance to your children's children, then it's probably important for you to just be aware of your total assets. Okay, my house, my pension pot, my government, and my if you've got a personal one or a company one, if you're fortunate, or a government one, if you're really fortunate, any investments, any potential inheritance, uh, I would never count that in because it, you never know until you read the will 
and you should all have a will. How many times have I said that to you, kings? You should all have a will. And we won't put our hands up. Well, maybe we could. You could just look around the room you're watching in and see if the hand goes up. You should have an up-to-date will. That's good financial stewardship. That is good financial health. Lastly today, just a few practical uh, steps. Um, The first is, It's so obvious, but maybe it isn't to some, I don't know, is you should have a plan. Uh, I'm renowned for my spreadsheets. I don't want to lose that reputation. I have multiple spreadsheets. I'm not a financial advisor, so this is just pastoral wisdom. I hope it's helping you. But I do have a financial advisor. When I showed him my spreadsheets, he said, you are in the top 1% of nerds when it comes to financial spreadsheets. I have never felt so good about myself. I just want you to know I'm going to own that moment. So I'm not normal, everyone, okay? But it's really important that you have a plan. In fact, if you're in debt, it's really important you have a plan of how you're going to get out of debt. If you want to invest, it's important that you have a plan. And it's important that this purpose of this message is trying to pull you out of the immediate to look over a few decades that you have a plan and you're aware that university fees are coming and, and there will be a time when I'm not working, but have I... Uh, got enough of my national insurance points so that I can get a full government pension. Need 35 years now uh, to qualify for a full government pension. Those type of things. I want to draw you out. Um, I want to invite you to attend a brilliant course, the CAP course. We heard a little bit about it earlier, uh, but it starts this Wednesday. Listen to the budget in the day and then go to the CAP course in the evening. And if you can't do that, then go to the Stewardship and Financial Freedom Seminar this Thursday. They're online, information on the website. I would hope literally tens of you, if not more, would just rush to say, okay, this is the moment to take action. Have a plan. Attend these courses. And then lastly, cultivate an attitude of generosity. Be generous. Um, If I was addressing the rich amongst us, I would quote 1 Timothy 6, where the apostle commands the rich, strong words, to do good and be generous and willing to share. I mean, that is strong biblical exhortation. Apostle writing to Timothy saying, look, if you have rich people in your church, this is what you should command them to be generous. I've always taught over the years at King's that uh, give 10, save 10, live off 80%. Most people live off 105% in our wider culture. They live beyond their means. But I think a good start point is give 10, save 10, live off 80. And then if you are fruitful in your stewardship financially, then how about this? This is more about proportional giving, which is the emphasis of the New Testament. Why don't you give 20, save 20, and live off 60? Huh? And particularly as you, if, if you're faithful with your financial management over decades, then... Uh, 
for some of us, not many, but some could actually say, no, that's, 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 that's my application today. I'm going to move from a 10, 10, 80 mindset. I'm going to move to a 20, 20, 60 mindset. In Paul's writing in Corinthians, he roots two chapters of teaching on giving uh, with these verses. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Ultimately, financial health, good stewardship is a part of our, our following of Jesus and his example in coming from the glory and the richness of heaven to lay down his life for us. And though we were poor and dead in our sin, that through his generous gift, his grace gift to us, that we might know life, eternal life, and that he would be centre uh, in our lives and that as a part of our discipleship, we would manage and steward our money well with a generous heart to the glory of God. That's uh, my prayer for us, kings. That's my prayer for us. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just uh, so aware on a, a day like this that so many people are listening in a different place. So some listening just been told they've lost their job. Others on benefits for the first time in their lives. Never thought they would... Uh, access that support. Um, others sitting here with more money in the bank than they expected to have because they just hadn't had the opportunity to go out for meals or to the cinema or whatever. Uncertainty about the future. Um, and uh, Lord, in it, we want to kind of steward well. We want to steward well as a church, but we also want to steward well uh, as individuals and as families. And so I pray for this message, Lord, that uh, it would serve us well and it would, more than anything, encourage people to engage with this important part of discipleship. And Lord, I pray that many, many men and many women will, well, they will steward well and uh, they will pass on an inheritance to their children's children. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.